When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we have to talk about my pressing questions for the Pac-12 for this spring football season, such as it is. And we're going to get into my top five players of the last 50 years to play both ways, which is going to make a whole hell of a lot more sense as we get into the show. But first, let's start, well, not with the best team in the Pac-12 in 2022, but with the most popular and, well, team with the highest ceiling, I believe, in the Pac-12 in 2022 and that is USC so the question isn't about Caleb Williams or even Miller Moss or Malachi Nelson behind him but can USC's defense be good enough to get Caleb Williams to his first college football playoff this is a man who took pains to say as he was accepting the Heisman Trophy last year that he really would rather be playing in the playoff than receiving the trophy now if you actually want to cut this up he probably would like to do both. And frankly, it would not be the first Lincoln Riley quarterback to accomplish both, right? Getting to the college football playoff and winning the Heisman Trophy. But that ain't no guarantee about winning a national championship. As an Oklahoma fan, you know I know this very well. But the potential of Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams to get to the playoff, I don't think is in any doubt. As a matter of fact, we're looking at a run on Lincoln Riley quarterbacks that is something like phenomenal, like it popped into my head that Dylan Rayola could end up at USC and he is the best quarterback in the 2024 class five-star, which would mean that Lincoln Riley had coach Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Spencer Rattler, Tanner Mordecai, Chandler Morris, Caleb Williams, and now Malachi Nelson. And then it just feels potentially unfair if Dylan Rayola ended up in South central LA, but defensively they're going to have to hold up. And that's not something that they are well good at. What they are good at is tackles for loss and turnovers. Now, to Alex Grinch's credit, that is what he has always wanted out of his defense. He wants tackles for loss, and he wants you to be disruptive enough to make the offensive players put the ball on the ground. This is a man who became famous for commissioning a study that found 20 takeaways by the defense equates to nine wins, no matter what the offense does in a given season. And as much as we were pulling our hair out about how USC was able to pull out these wins with these really opportunistic turnovers, they still kept getting them. And turnovers is an unpredictable statistic. That's why so many of us don't really talk about it as something you got to go get or something that you can even replicate. But somehow, some way, Alex Grinch has been able to do this. And a big reason as to why 
Last year, they had an All-American in Tuli Tui Pelotu, who led all of FBS in with sacks, with 13 and a half sacks last season. So really not as high as I thought it was going to be. But when you're looking at that dude coming off the end, you can understand why he was so good, so quick, could get around that offensive tackle so well. But for that defense to get better and achieve the heights that they want to win the Pac-12 championship, make it to the college football playoff, they're going to need former number one overall recruit, Corey Foreman, to come on with the come on, right? We are still waiting on this dude to break out in a truly meaningful way. And the talent is there. It's just about pulling it out. The same, I think, could be said about a Damani Jackson, who I think should ascend in 2023. Very excited about what he could do in that defensive backfield. But for me, the guy to really pay attention to this spring is Eric Gentry. And I know that's not going to see a whole hell of a lot out of Eric Gentry because he's coming off of an injury last year. But you get the point here in that he is six foot six playing inside linebacker and was outstanding in that defense. It's a man with a seven foot one wingspan. I mean, if you want to call him a condor, you'd probably be right. In 11 games last year, he had 71 tackles, and that was ridiculous. And what I could think about when I was trying to comp Eric Gentry, I had to go straight to Isaiah Simmons at Clemson. And when you think about that Isaiah Simmons was able to come off the edge, play linebacker, play safety, be a destroyer of worlds for Bent Venables in that defense, I look at Eric Gentry and I could see that guy being deployed in much the same manner, especially against a league that's probably going to be the deepest that we see in the Power Five at quarterback. In Isaiah Simmons' last year at Clemson, that'd be his junior year, his redshirt junior year, at six foot four, two thirty-eight, this is a man who had 104 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, eight passes defended, three picks, and two forced fumbles. Eric Gentry, I dare you to do better because if you do better, you put up those sorts of numbers. I have no doubt that USC could win the Pac-12 championship and play in a college football playoff for the first time in its history, which feels like. Saying something that is controversial in that, but it's it's really not. It's just USC ain't been USC since Liner, since Bush. You get the feeling there. All right. One guy to watch for, I think, on that USC defense going into the spring, though, is Jamil Muhammad, who is a transfer from Georgia State. Really interesting journey for this guy. Comes out of high school, expected to play quarterback at Vanderbilt. Ends up transferring to Georgia State, where he thought he was going to play quarterback. They move him to wideout, and eventually to what is essentially rush in. He had seven and a half sacks in two years at Georgia State. And when he entered the transfer portal, there were no small amount of Power 5 offers. We're talking about UNC, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and AM before he ended up choosing USC. And one of the things that Riley and Grinch saw in him is one of the things I see in him. This guy is still raw. It's still a guy that you could teach to be outstanding off the edge because he still doesn't know what he's really doing at that position. And it's not like Alex Grinch doesn't know how to develop outside linebackers and rush ins. To that point, Roy Manning can do the same. They're outside linebackers coach. And I'm really excited to see what Jamil can do. I also really excited that his daddy's name is Shaft. <laughs> Richard Roundtree. Shaft. He got a kid. At USC. I don't know why that lights me up so much, but it does. Jamil Muhammad. Come on down, because I think for USC, he could be for them what Jared Verse was at Florida State, right? He could be that good, and I expect him to show out and really add to the depth on that defense. All right, the next question I have in the Pac-12, my pressing questions this spring. Does Utah have depth 
behind Cam Rising at quarterback. Now, you'll know that this is tremendously important for Utah because he makes them go. They look like a totally different football team when he is their quarterback. And when he went out with injuries, back-to-back Rose Bowls, broken hearts all over, Utah's hopes of winning the Rose Bowl went with him. And he's also the reason they won back-to-back Pac-12 championships, all right? It is a man who will do whatever it takes, whatever he has to do, to get wins, which is very Kyle Whittingham and, frankly, in their DNA. But behind him, we didn't see a whole hell of a lot, right? When it's going well, Andy Lugwit and Cam Rising will go up against USC, drop 90 points on their head, combine 1,000 yards, 95 off, uh, not 1,095 yards of offense, and back-to-back wins against USC. When it's going badly, we're trying to figure out whether or not Bryson Barnes or excuse me, and Nate Johnson and Brandon Rose are good enough. And I think that's what the spring is about. As a matter of fact, I love this quote from Whittingham to the Salt Lake City Tribune. If there's a silver lining to Cam not being able to participate in the spring, it will be that those guys will get all the reps, not just the portion they would have gotten. That will lend itself to an opportunity for us as coaches to get a greater evaluation and sort out who our two, three, and fours are by the end of spring ball. And that's the way that I would draw it up if I was running Utah. I think this is where you find out who's next up. Who can we expect to even come in and perhaps spell Cam Rising a little bit sooner in games that we expect to put away or games that we unexpectedly put away? And they've got some really outstanding and cool options, I think, here. Because I'm looking at Bryson Barnes, who got most of the uh, snaps in 2022 when Rising was out. We're talking about 57 career pass attempts in 11 games, but he's got a totally different skill set than Johnson and even Rose. Like the cool thing about Nate Johnson is that he is so fast. This is a man who ran 10.4 seconds in the hundred meters in Clovis in high school at at California. Just 10 seconds is still flying to me. You're 10, nine, you're flying to me. You're 11 flat. You're flying to me to know that you have that at quarterback and to see what you could perhaps build around that, I think should be exciting for a guy like Andy Ludwig, whose services, well, let's put it frank, were in demand after what he was able to do at Utah these last couple of years. Very excited to find out what the depth looks like and which one of these guys can pick up after Cam Rising because I think this is going to be his last year of college football, but we're also going into another year for which we're going to see sixth and seventh year players. And we're coming off of the first year that we saw a five-year starter at UCLA. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. My next question inside of the Pac-12 has to do with Oregon State. The question before me is, does DJ Uyunglele look like the kind of quarterback that can win the conference championship? And there's a different, there's several different ways actually to go at this, but I like to go at it from what he is adding to a 10-win Oregon State team that more or less won without a quarterback, all right? I know that we were all sort of out on DJ Uwe Unglele as the starting quarterback at Clemson by the middle of November, but that was because he's got another five-star behind him in Kay Klubnick that was able to clean it up, pick it up, and get Clemson back on the good foot for an 11-win season and a really great game against Tennessee in the Orange Bowl that they ended up losing. But even a season we thought was bad by DJ Uwe Unglele standards was outstanding by Oregon State quarterback standards. The way I get at this is quite simply, Ben Golberson and Chance Nolan played 15 games between them at Oregon State. 
They combined for 2,394 pass yards, 16 TDs, and 13 interceptions, right? Now, in that same season where we saw DJ Uyunglele come off the bench and sit the bench, he also passed for 2,500 yards with 22 TDs and seven interceptions. And, oh, yeah, 545 yards on the ground, which would have made him the third best running back, if you will, at Oregon State. And he had seven rush TDs, which would have tied him for first on that Oregon State team. They, like Iowa in the Big Ten, feel like they're a quarterback away from being outstanding. Oregon State had USC on the ropes, right? This is a team that really came into its own in November, winning their rivalry game against Oregon in dramatic fashion. I think if he can show a command of the offense and really sell the rest of us on Oregon State and what we saw in 2022, that is how you get a deep league. Oregon State being good gives you five teams in that league that I out I really think could play in New Year's Six Bowl games if things break their way. They're really that good. Very excited to see what this dude looks like in the orange and black in Corvallis. All right, next question I have before me is who takes the lead in the UCLA quarterback derby? Now, you're going to see a quarterback derby at UCLA for the first time in five years, right? Chip Kelly also knows from quarterbacks. Very excited to see how he divvies up reps and who comes out looking the best. And we've got really, I think, just two guys competing for the job, maybe three, but I'm just going to run through those really quick. UCLA is going to have Colin Schley, who grad transfers from Kent State, played quarterback over there for Sean Lewis, who was the new offensive coordinator at Colorado. He's got Ethan Garbers, who was the backup quarterback on last year's UCLA team. He's got Chase Griffin there as well. And then they added, I think, the best, well, yeah, the best quarterback on the West Coast, in the 2023 class or playing on the West Coast of 2023 class and Dante Moore. Look, no disrespect to anybody else playing quarterback at UCLA, but if you've seen Dante Moore sling it, you understand why so many Bruins fans are very excited to see him play and play right away. I think they're going to give him as many opportunities as they can to try to go win this job. And you have a backup plan in Ethan Garbers and Colin Schlieff. But they're losing so much here. And this is the other reason why I won't think that they want Dante Moore to take the job as quickly as he can, or if he doesn't, somebody else. Because you're not just losing Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who started for five years, had 69.6% completion percentage, 30, uh, yeah, 3,169 pass yards, 27 TDs, and 10 INTs just last year. You're also losing your best tailback in Zach Charbonnet, who I think quietly was outstanding. 1,300 yards rushing, 7 yards per carry, over 1,600 yards from scrimmage, 7.2 yards from scrimmage. That's a weapon that you lost, and you lose your best wide receiver, Jake Bobo, who had 57 catches for 817 yards. You need your quarterback sorted out so you can find out who the rest of your playmakers are going to be in this all-important season for you. Like SC, that's a Big Ten team come 2024, right? That's how we're going to be talking about them. Like Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12, so much of the Pac-12 storylines are going to be around USC and UCLA and what they can do in a conference that they helped build in their last season. I think if you could set Dante Moore up to be that guy going into 2023 and then have a year underneath his belt when they go play Big Ten competition, that's going to help you so much down the line. But 
Chip Kelly's really good at this. I expect him to give everybody a fair shake and let these guys' talent really show us what's really good. Excited about what their season could hope for, too. I'm also looking at this, and I need to point out that Colin Schley is not leftovers here, right? 59% completion last year, 2,100 yards passing, 13 TDs, five interceptions. And again, played for Sean Lewis at Colorado, and that offense just operated at warp speed. So if anybody knows how to go quick, it'd be that guy. One more thing to go out on Dante Moore here. He is the highest-rated quarterback recruit in the history of the program at UCLA, according to 247 Sports' composite, which is the industry standard. And he led his high school team to back-to-back state championships with nearly 10,000 yards, 135 touchdowns, and 20 interceptions. Again, I can't stress to you enough, this dude can absolutely spin it. Whether he starts right away or later, we're all going to be delighted by what we see. Okay, next question that I have is a little bit broader. Does Washington, Oregon, or Colorado have enough to dethrone Utah and challenge USC, right? I think there's a lot of different ways to go at this, but for Washington, it's, it's whole what you got, right? They lose both guards in the center off of last year's team, and it's the first time since 2019 that they're going to have to replace more than two starters on that offensive line at Montlake. Like, that's that's not a, an easy lift there. They also are spreading their practices out over, like I said, spring season. They're doing 15 practices over 47 days. Sure, I, I guess. Like, spring football is all over the map. Some people are almost done with it. I think Michigan plays their spring game, like, next week or whatever. Whatever you got to do. But if you are Washington over the course of these 47 days and you're walking into the locker room, I would have on the whiteboard 40 to UCLA, 45 to Arizona State. That's the difference between who we are and who we want to be. That would just chat me to no end. Those losses separate you from being perfect, right? You go beat up on Oregon or you win that game, right? It's also a year in which they didn't have to play at uh, SC. I'm also looking at this going, Ryan Grubb had an opportunity to go to Alabama. He's staying put as the offense coordinator at Washington. Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. are getting back. Or excuse me, Kalen DeBoer is getting back Michael Penix Jr. Look, 4,600 yards passing, 31 TDs, eight interceptions. It ain't broke. Don't try to fix it. Throw it deep to Roma Dunsey. Throw it deep to Jalen McMillan. And see if you can't put up 45 a game. Because when it's going well for those folks in Seattle, it's going really, really well. Very excited about what they could do in this Pac-12. My goodness, that dude can spin it, man. I mean, the way that he just launches into a football is always going to be awesome. That is because I'm basically seeing it coming at me because he's left-handed, right? It's a lot of two of the tongue of a lower over there. So next question that I had in that was, can Oregon do this, right? Oregon who lost that game to Washington. Now, the whiteboard for Oregon should read something like, Oregon State and Washington are losses in the same year. Those are your rivals. Those those are the two teams you got to beat. Every single year. That can't happen. The Georgia thing, I think we're all just kind of throwing that one out. Not just because it was so lopsided and it felt just awe-inspiring, but because it did not turn out to be who Oregon was. 
turned out Oregon is a good football team and they returned many of the pieces that made them good last year. It's not just Bo Nix. It's not just Troy Franklin. It's also Bucky Irving. It's also Noah Whittington. And then defensively, I think they have an opportunity to get better. So you're adding Will Stein to the offense after Kenny Dillingham got the job at Arizona State as the head coach. Will Stein is an up-and-coming offensive coordinator. He did great things at UTSA. Really helped Frank Harris, who's going into his seventh year at UTSA, play at college football, become a household name, if not in San Antonio, uh, excuse me, not Texas, then in San Antonio. But I'm looking at the defense, and that's what you got to fix because that's the difference between being a great football team as opposed to being a good football team. You're losing Noah Sewell off of that defense, who is the last guy at Oregon to notch 100 tackles in a season, and he didn't do that last year. As a matter of fact, I was looking at this. Only two men since 2018 have notched 100 tackles at Oregon. One of them is Noah Sewell. The other one is Troy Dye. But you're going to get better up front on that defensive line. You're adding a five-star in Jordan Birch, who held the recruiting world hostage a couple years ago by just refusing to sign his national letter of intent. And I'm also looking at this going, man, y'all had an opportunity to have two of the better edge rushers of the last two years on the same football team at South Carolina, but it is what it is. Nick Harbor is who you get, and you're going to lose Jordan Birch. But Jordan Birch is also going to be added to six foot three, 290-pound Brandon Dorless, who I think could be one of the best edge defenders in all of college football next season. Look, nine and a half tackles for loss, uh, 39 total tackles, and then you're going to get something out of Mace Funa. I say that because we're still waiting to get a lot out of Mace Funa. In a year where you don't, again, have Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, who transferred to Arizona, let's find out who your leaders are. I think you really are deep at the boundary corner position with Kyrie Jackson and Dante Manning. Very excited about those two dudes dueling it out. Looking forward to seeing which one of those guys shows themselves to be the starter at least this spring, and then we'll get to fall camp, see how that goes. Now, the last team that I mentioned in that question is Colorado. Can Colorado dethrone Utah and USC is one way of putting it. But the way I think of Colorado in this year is like M'Baku in Black Panther as a walking stress test, okay? When things feel like they are unmoored, right? The Pac-12 conference is at a crossroads, both inside and outside of football. They are also losing two blue blood programs in USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. They got the Heisman winner, but they don't have a team in the college football playoff. And here comes Colorado, who could either take advantage of all this chaos and ascend to the top or demonstrate that perhaps the Pac-12 is much deeper than we think. So on challenge day, which is 2023 for the Pac-12, Let's see if Mbaku, Colorado, can actually go at Utah and or USC, who they have this year. But also, they're going to have some really interesting games all year long, not to mention Texas Christians on their schedule and Nebraska's on their schedule. Now, I made this point once, but I'm going to continue to make this point because I keep learning on this job that I just got to keep making the same point over and over again. I don't know why we're not talking about Shadur Sanders as being a great quarterback. And I'm really trying to understand why so many people not only discount Colorado, but don't respect Colorado because of what happened last year. Now, traditions being traditions and all of that, 
But I thought we threw all that out when we got in new head coaches, when we brought in new players. And now with the quarterback, let me put it this way. Shadur Sanders threw for 3,732 yards, 40 TDs, and six INTs in 2022. Here's the list of QBs who threw for at least 3,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, and six interceptions or fewer in FBS in 2022. Caleb Williams and CJ Stroud. The Heisman winner, the dude that nearly took George's head off and is probably going to get drafted in the first round of this year's NFL draft, if not the number one overall pick. That's the list, guys. All right, RJ. Shadour did this at Jackson State. That's an FCS school. Anybody could do that. Yo, Siri, who are the FCS quarterbacks who threw for 3,500 yards, 40 TDs, and six INTs or fewer? Shadour Sanders. That's the list, guys. Lindsey Scott Jr. is not on that list. Okay? Anybody else you want to throw out, they're not on this list. It's Shadur Sanders. It's Caleb Williams. It's CJ Stroud. Now, all you're going to demonstrate by telling me that Shadur Sanders played at Jackson State is your bias. Last time I checked, everybody has a good football program, right? That shows up and wins championships. Jackson State has won the SWAC the last two years. Okay. Follow win short, really a pass short because tight end dropped the pass in the end zone from winning the national championship last year for Jackson State. I'm getting kind of antsy about this because I'm, I'm trying to see to your side. And your side is you just don't like him. You just don't like Prime. You just don't like what Colorado is doing. And I love it because it's football and it's fun. And those dudes have won everywhere they go. But even if I didn't want to just harp on Shadour Sanders and Coach Prime, I could point you to, oh, goodness me. They add Cormani McClain. They add Travis Hunter, who we'll talk about in some depth here in a little bit. They also add Sean Lewis. They add Charles Kelly, who was 247's best recruiter in the 2023 cycle. Helped Alabama put together their class before becoming the defensive coordinator at Colorado. Sean Lewis is there for a reason. They want to go warp speed. They want to put it on people. I'm saying here, man, like, I think they have what it takes to at least challenge SC, to challenge Utah later in the year, to challenge national runner-up Texas Christian. Our sport is weird because you can finish as a national finalist and people will write you off like people have done Texas Christian. And or you can win the SWAC, go undefeated through the regular season, and then people will tell you that now you're playing big boy football. Man, I don't know where we get this from, but there's there's a part of me that sees arrogance. Not just arrogance, but we, we don't like greatness. And I love greatness, right? I like watching people play, even as I have my own thing against excellence. When I see people doing things that I simply cannot do, I'm awe-inspired. That's why I love the sport, all right? Now, as far as the spring is concerned, the question that I had, which kind of two parts here is, how many people are going to show up to the Colorado game? And what is the atmosphere going to be like for their spring game? Because they sold out their tickets in February for their spring game. 31,000 people 
have already decided they want to go see what's good at Folsom in April, which in and of itself is a feat, right? I think if the stadium could hold 90,000, they might get close to it because there are people that aren't Colorado fans who are very interested in Colorado Buffalo football. And many of them are folks like me who know Colorado football for Rashawn Salam, for Slash Cordell Stewart, for Michael Westbrook coming over to Ty Law's head. Yeah, I said it. I said it. And really, we ain't had nothing to say good about Colorado in about 15 years. But all of a sudden, they had a need. They needed a face. They needed a name. They needed somebody that needed to be needed. And now you got Prime out there with a black cowboy hat on telling people you got to earn your numbers. Oh, boy. You want to talk about old school. Prime going on rants talking about, hey, look, I got dudes out here that want to wear number one and ain't done nothing on a football field. It used to be any right. To get the number one, you had to be somebody. Like, usually, coach got to hand you that jersey. You don't get to go get that jersey. He got dudes out here going, I want number one. For what, son? You done nothing? I'm with it. And I'm saying, if you're a purist, if you're a traditionalist, if you're old school, if you're an old head, how are you not a fan of what's going on at Colorado? All right. So outside of that, Shadur Sanders, Kamani McLean, Travis Hunter. The question I have is, who the hell is behind Shadur Sanders? And I don't mean to be that cold about it, but I'm going to mention these names to you. You're going you're gonna to tell me in the Twitters, at number one show, who you heard of. Colton Allen, Drew Carter, Ryan Staub. Okay, only one of those guys played football at Colorado last year, okay? And it was Drew Carter, who was 5 of 12 for 35 yards as a freshman. I'm scared of what Colorado might be if Shatur Sanders can't go because he might be more important to their fortunes than Caleb Williams is to USC's. And Caleb Williams was out there on one leg trying to win football games rather than putting in a perfectly healthy Miller Moss. Let that sit with you for a while. He might be more important to them than Cam Rising is at Utah because he's that good. Again, 3,500, 40 TDs, fewer than six. Three dudes across two divisions. He's one of them, all right? Also, it leads me to ask the question of what is it that we still want to see from Travis Hunter? What is it that we still want to see from Colorado in this spring? Which brings me to... I think the really cool question, can Travis Hunter play both ways? Because he's going to do it. All right. First, it's a long quote here, but I'm going to drop out the, uh, the best parts from the Buff Zone color in Colorado football. And Sean Lewis said it best. He's going to be able to help us on both sides of the ball. He has a very unique skill set that's going to help the team in a lot of different phases. He goes on to say, we're going to get on the field in, every, uh, in a very competitive league with really elite defensive backs. And when he comes across a DB as a wide receiver, particularly where talent is equal, well, how are you going to win? I love this because Sean Lewis has said his offense is equal to having to ride a bicycle downhill on a volcano that is exploding which is another way of saying you can't worry about the fire and the lava going on. You got to know that bicycle without looking down. You got to be able to navigate without looking down. You have to be able to problem solve on the fly, which means that they are going to have to see a defense 
and they're going to have to be able to see it the way Shadur sees it, and they're going to have to go at warp speed. I think if you're familiar with what Josh Heupel was able to do at Tennessee, this will look familiar to what you were going to see at Colorado. That means that they want to go fast, and they want to score in bunches. On the other side of the ball, Charles Kelly knows he's going to have the two best corners of the last two years, according to the 247 Sports Composite. And even he is saying Travis Hunter is going to go both ways. All right? Here's Kelly. <clears throat> I can't believe this. All right. Charles Kelly said with a straight face that Travis Hunter reminds him a lot of Devontae Smith, who, quote, was probably one of our better corners. Hold up. Charles Kelly, who coached DBs at Alabama, casually says the Heisman Trophy winner at wide receiver was one of our best corners at Alabama. Which says to me we were robbed of Devontae Smith going both ways. I'm saying, like, you've seen that dude out there. You see what he's doing with Philly. Like, it's not new to him, the Slim Reaper over to get it done. But the idea that you are just casually mentioning that, and then you look at Travis Hunter, and you say he's special, quote is, guys can play both positions, especially when you're wired the right way, and Travis is definitely wired that way. I mean, look, I'm all in on Travis Hunter going both ways. First, because he can do it. Second, because it's so rare, all right? It's exceedingly rare to have a player that has Travis Hunter's ability, who coaches trust enough to play him on both sides of the ball. Which leads me to our list for this show, which are who are the top five players of the last 50 years to play both ways. Last 50 years for me is since integration because it becomes a different football game, different sport, basically going back to the 70s. And also it allows me to tell all you folks that are well actually, yeah, we know Jim Thorpe exists. I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. How do I not know Jim Thorpe exists? You know what I'm saying? We, we, we know. We get it. There are other guys, Dick Buckus, we're just not going to talk about, okay? Last 50 years, different sport. That's all. It's a different sport. But even if you want to go back the last 50 years, you really got to start in the 1990s. You really can't even start in the 70s or 80s because, quiet as it's kept, Prime didn't play both ways at Florida State. That didn't happen until he became a pro. That dude, just, just ridiculous, just stupid. All right, so the first guy on the list for me, uh, is, my goodness, Utah's Eric Weddle. Now, Eric Weddle came into vogue for me because the Wildcat was not really a thing until we start seeing a few other people do it, and then I got to see Eric Weddle do it at Utah. And one of the things that I thought was more interesting about this is that it wasn't Urban Meyer that made that thing really go. It was Kyle Whittingham, which is another way of saying Kyle Whittingham don't need no quarterback. He, he don't need no quarterback. He'll take the best safety out there and he'll put him over there and have him rushing the ball. By the way, Eric Weddle went into retirement, came out of retirement, won a Super Bowl, went back to retirement. <laughs> stupid. Just stupid, all right? Next guy on the list for me, it's got to be Iowa State's Joel Lanning, who is of your time and of mine. It's a man who played quarterback and then played linebacker. Holy smokes. I mean, it was one thing to know that he could take off and run as he did, and certainly – was able to make life hard for anybody that wanted to play against Iowa State. It's something else entirely to see that dude at Mike having like 114 tackles. I mean, 
that he's still, I believe, a grad assistant at Iowa State right now. And you just didn't see a player like that. And it was also the first time that I'd seen Matt Campbell say, okay, what do we got here? Cool. I got a quarterback that will hit people. I got a quarterback that will run. What if we played him at Mike, which is something that you do in high school or middle school or peewee. You don't do that in the Big 12. And yet they did because Joe Lanning was just that much of a beast. Another beast. Number three on the list for me. Ohio State's Chris Gamble. Yeah, y'all thought I was going to let that slide, huh, Buckeye fans? Nah, I know that Chris Gamble played a million snaps. <laughs> that dude was playing both ways in the early aughts, all right? Like, I mean, just stupid. So Gamble had like seven interceptions in 02, right? And I want to say like three touchdown passes. But like, number seven, you just saw him everywhere. Again, back to the single digits and that meaning something with Prime talking about you want one. This dude wearing seven and you knew what it was. And then he got to Carolina and didn't really drop off. I mean, I had so much fun watching Chris Gamble play that I was frequently having to remind myself that he didn't do as much as I thought he did, though he seemed to be on every single team, special teams, offense, and defense at Ohio State. Number two on the list, Champ Bailey at Georgia. All right. Some of y'all are just too young to know this because I come up when Champ Bailey was a Bronco, when it was you are just not throwing to his side. But this dude could do anything he wanted on a football field and did. He wanted to play wide out. He went to go play wide out. He wanted to play quarterback. He went to go play quarterback. Champ had 1,800 yards rushing as a high school senior. There's nothing that he could not do with a football or in and around a football. Before we knew that Reggie Bush was a thing, before we knew that, my goodness, uh, Dante Hall was a thing, this guy was the human joystick. There was nothing that I could not expect to see out of a Champ Bailey. Very excited. I thought for a long time that was going to be the greatest college football player I'd ever seen. And then, thankfully, I got to grow up just a little bit more and see a little bit more football. And then number one on the list, as we get there, like recovery fumbles, my goodness, Heisman winner. The last dude to really go both ways and capture our imagination, Charles Woodson at Michigan. It's one thing to say you're a great defensive back. It's another thing entirely to be the kind of guy that if he catches a punt return, he can take it back. I've seen that in Tyreek Hill. He didn't go both ways at Oklahoma State. The thing about Charles Woodson that really separated him is he won what is traditionally a quarterback award, what is traditionally a running back award, by doing stuff like this on the screen where he's going up with one hand to moss people. Like, that's not a pass that's meant for him, and he's still going to get it. I don't know that we're ever going to see another defensive back with Charles Woodson's ability, especially playing big-time football. But if we are going to, I think that dude's in Boulder, Colorado right now. Not just because he has the talent to, but because his coaches believe in him enough to give him the snaps and the opportunity. And all you got to do is go check out the Celebration Bowl in 2022 to ask yourself what kind of a wide receiver Travis Hunter is. And you'll see, when it's time to go get your money, when it is ding, ding, school is in, and you need to go get it, Shadur Sanders threw it up to him. Not a dude playing wide receiver, Travis Hunter playing wide receiver. And I think that says everything that we need to say about what he could be in the Pac-12. The way out, honorable mention, Gordy Lockbaum, yes, I know some of y'all from the New England area understand what that dude was like at the cross, right? I think in Worcester, 
that has some worse sister. But Gordy Lockbaum could do anything you wanted on a football field, too. It's just it happened a little bit before our time and not necessarily on the largest scale. And yes, Oklahoma fans, I know Andre Wolfolk exists. He didn't make the list. You can fight me in the mentions if you would like to about that, but it's the top five, right? It's not the top 10. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our intern is Steph DeLaGuardia. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. Our social media maven is JV on Duncan. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. Deuces.